Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. One of the most important chapters in the Bible to know is Romans chapter 8. It's one of, if not the greatest chapters in all of scripture because it holds some of the greatest promises that we get to cling to as believers. And today we're going to go to verses 17 through 30. Uh, these, this is maybe my favorite section in here of Romans 8, but I'll let you know it's also probably the heaviest of sections of Romans 8. So far we've talked about a lot of life-giving things, forgiveness, that there's no condemnation, justification, the fact that we can be led by the Spirit, the fact that when we become believers we are adopted children of God. But today I want to talk about three realities of life from this section in Romans that when you understand these realities of life, you understand how God is working in your life. And I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for these words in Scripture because if we're going to have a chapter of Scripture that is supposed to mean so much to us and is supposed to be powerful for our life, it needs to address the real issues of life. And those, one of those realities is the heaviness of suffering that we all face as part of humanity and we all face in our life. It's a theme of Scripture because scripture is really dealing with this reality the first reality is that we will suffer in life we will have struggles in life this has been a big theme of the preaching in the last year and year and a half we've talked about suffering in our life we've talked about the suffering of Jesus and accepting the fact that we will suffer suffer just as Jesus accepted the cup of suffering but let's go to Romans 8 And this verse we ended with last week, we're starting there this week. It says, now if we are children, which was last week's message, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So while the topic is suffering today, I titled this message, Our Incredible Future, because all the way through this, we're getting pointed to something amazing that will happen. But these verses assume the truth that we will have sufferings in the present. And I hope that you're not going through Uh, major suffering right now and maybe you get to store this message away for another time but it may just be right now that you are in a difficult period in life maybe it's a physical ailment could be that you have a problem or an issue in a relationship in your life or that you are worried about your children maybe it's a financial difficulty maybe it could be grief and living with the loss of a loved one maybe it's that you're Uh, being persecuted or put down uh, for being a Christian and becoming a believer in your circle, in your family, in your workplace has been a very difficult thing for you. Could be the struggle that we all have navigating a very secular world in our Christian faith. 
Maybe it's just that you have a persistent problem that keeps popping up and there seems to be no solution to it. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I have found that oftentimes it's not the big things that break us. It's the nagging, persistent things that seem to have no end or no relief. Uh, maybe it's that you've got a persistent problem and it just is there in your life and there seems to be no solution to it. And so big illnesses or big grief or big things, like you can navigate those okay, but it's, I mean, have you ever heard the phrase, it's not the mountain that will get you, it's the pebble in your shoe. Like it's not the desert that will get you, it's the grain of sand in your sandal. And maybe you've found that there's just persistent things in your life, persistent sins or temptations or issues that are just wearing you down and are a big weight in your life. These verses remind us that we can handle any problem. Can I just say that to you today? This isn't actually a popular thing to say in our culture for some reason, but let me just tell you and build you up and let you know that you can handle any problem. But you can only handle it a certain way. You handle it when you remember, when you infuse something into you, when you put something into your mind, into your soul, into your emotions, into your bones, into your spirit, into who you are. That you, when you instill some things in your life, you can handle anything when you remember first who to share your problems with. When you're facing suffering, you are not alone. You see, we're always looking to share our problems with someone, to share, share the weight. Because if you share them with no one, the tension builds in your life. But if you share your problems with complainers, bitterness will build. If you share your problems with excusers, weakness will build. But if you share your problems with Jesus, hope will build. If you share your problems with someone else who is following Jesus, hope will build. It's when you identify your life with Christ, that's, you see, Jesus faced problems. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm facing suffering, if I'm facing issues, it must be because I'm doing something wrong. Well, Jesus faced plenty of suffering and issues and problems and never, never sinned, never did anything wrong. These scriptures tell us that when you suffer, you share in the sufferings of Christ. He faced grief frustration. He had issues with his disciples, relationship issues, family issues. He had frustration, temptations, rejection. And when you, have, when you suffer, Scripture says you are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus and that you are not alone. You are identifying with the only one who's overcome them. So who do you share your problems with? These two verses tell us we can handle any problem when we remember who to share your problems with? Number two, what to compare your problems to? One of the common ways we have of handling problems is, is we compare our issues with other people's issues. We do this a couple of ways. One is we'll be struggling with something and then we'll find someone who is struggling more than we are and we'll say, well, I feel better. At least I don't have it that bad. Like, look, honey, at least we're not going through that. Like, let's cheer up. Things are okay. Or what we'll do is we'll face a problem and say, well, I'm not suffering as much as them, so who am I to compare my suffering? Who am I to say I'm suffering? You know, we had the team from, from India in here the other night, and, 
you know, half of them have been arrested and, 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 and all these horrible things that you hear that they're going through. And it can be easy to say, well, I can't, I can't say I have any problems. Who am I to, to say I'm suffering in any way? But the problem is when you compare, you're depending on someone else's suffering to make you feel better or to make you feel worse. But what happens if you face a situation where you can't find somebody who has it worse? It's just one of those things that if you've ever had to go through where it's just one of the worst things you've ever have to go through. And these verses teach us that you don't compare to other people when you suffer. What do you do? What do you compare your problems to? You compare them to God's glory. God's glory is God's best and his best for you is yet to come. And when you suffer, if you're taking notes, your present sufferings are not worth comparing to your future glory. The Apostle Paul said, I consider that the, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I want you to look uh, on your notes, in your Bible, at the end of verse 18, those two words that describe where this glory will be revealed. It's in us. And that just jumped out to me this week. That it's not a glory that will be revealed to us. It's not a glory that will be revealed around us. It's a glory that's revealed into us. That tells us about what a glorious place heaven will be because right now God is bringing his glory into your life for all of eternity. Paul talked about this in another place as well in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light and momentary troubles. Let's read this one out loud together actually. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now that would be hot air if it hadn't come from the Apostle Paul. Because most of us haven't experienced a fraction of what he's calling light and momentary. He endured being beaten, being stoned, having huge rocks thrown at him. He endured being chained, imprisoned, starved, often hungry, left naked and cold. And through all of that, he found that he could trust God. Uh, after all of that, he found that what God has waiting for me far outweighs what I've been through. Through all of that, he says, the problems are light and momentary. They're light compared to the weight of glory that God has for us. You see, in both places here, he uses a mathematical term. So in Romans 8, he says, I, I consider. It's, he's using a mathematical term there if you look at it. Another way to say it would be like, I calculate. I calculate it. And in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, it outweighs. It outweighs them all. And he's saying, I've looked at life, and the suffering is real. It's a reality of life. He's saying, though, I've done the math. I've done the homework here, and I've thought about this, and our future glory weighs more than the weight of suffering. So the people in Rome would have thought about this. They would have thought about a scale because they would use scales to weigh things and calculate things. And so I have one of these scales here. And um, can I tell you something f funny about this? Is I, 
when I thought of this illustration, oh, thank you for Andrew Waltz up in the booth. Jamie put this up here because it, I ordered this illustration and when I saw the picture online, there was no scale of reference. So I thought I was ordering something that was like a briefcase size or bigger that would work for an illustration in front of a crowd of people. And it came in this little bubble wrap envelope and I ended up with, <laughs> with this here today. <laughs> These tiny little weights. And so I wasn't going to use it, but then I, as I thought about it, I was like, you know what, actually this may even work. This may even work in my favor, work better here today. So we become believers and we want to be saved. And, and we know that like we're taking God at his word that if we believe in him, we get to have eternal life in Christ and all these promises of heaven and all these promises here on earth too. And and so we say there is future, future glory, and there's weight to that, and it matters, and we're looking forward to that. And so we put our weight and our hope in future glory, but then problems begin to enter our life, and there's issues of, well, this illness is in my life, or this illness is in my family's life, or we've lost a child or lost a person this way. And there's more weight in present sufferings. And then we go through life and there's more weight of uh, someone in our life decides not to believe or to turn away from the Lord. And there is a weight to that, that you feel it all the time in your life. This weight of they've turned their back on God or turned away from God. And then the scale starts to turn and shift. And then there's relationship problems or maybe problems with our church family or weights that we suffer of being persecuted for following Christ and the struggles that you face maybe in your family, in your workplace, and it all becomes so heavy that the present sufferings seem to be like, is this worth it? Is this going to pay off in the end? And the Apostle Paul says, along comes future glory. <laughs> and... How does that even fit into the scale? How does that even fit into the equation? And Paul says the future glory so far outweighs. Like if you want to try and calculate this and work this up, good luck with that because God's future glory doesn't even fit into your calculation and your scale. And he says, I consider and I am convinced that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the future glory God has intended for you. Praise God, right? That's how far it is above. And you might say, well, I'm carrying boulders of weight right now and boulders of suffering in my life. And I would tell you, God has a mountain range of glory intended for you that far outweighs, that dwarfs every boulder in your life. You might say, well, I'm carrying gallons of suffering in my life. And, and I would say that the oceans of God's glory is going to far outweigh and God's best for you will far outweigh any present sufferings you have. The first reality is we will suffer. 
But we know that we were made for more. We know that we are made, made for God, made for holiness. The second reality we see is that you will suffer. The second reality we see is you will groan. In these verses, it talks about the groaning we go through in our lives. This is such a good word for, for what we go through. I, I want to just read a few paragraphs here from Romans 8 in one pass. And as I read this passage, I want you to notice, just really hear and look at the words that we are reading, and also notice the different types of groaning that, we, that, are, that are happening in this passage. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. A lot we can pull from there, but do you notice uh, the different types of groaning in these verses? First of all, it says all creation groans. All creation is waiting for what God is going to do at the, at the end of time. Just a, just a real quick walk through uh, the truth about creation. Creation started as good. God created it all, said it is very good. But creation became a fallen creation through sin. And where are we now with this? Creation waits while, growing, while groaning. Because ultimately it will become a glorious creation. Creation is eagerly awaiting for what God has in mind. Creation itself, existence, the universe, the earth is in upheaval. And it's groaning for what God is going to do next. Where it will be redeemed where our human bodies will be redeemed one day. All creation is groaning, waiting for this mystery to unveil. Secondly, it says, if you're taking notes, that we groan. We groan inwardly. Now, let's clarify what this means, because <laughs> this, this doesn't mean moan. It's groan. This doesn't mean grumble. It's, it's groan. We groan because we are waiting for something. It says we're waiting for our adoption. We're already God's children, but we're waiting to have it be realized fully. And it says this is as the, as the groans as in childbirth. 
Now, I've heard the groans on a maternity floor in a hospital, and I've heard the groans on an oncology ward in a hospital. And it's two totally different types of groans, isn't it? There's two totally different things going on there. While both are pain, while both are suffering, it's two very different perspectives. And these verses give us two words that help us know how to groan, that give us the right perspective in this and how to wait, how to live in this tension. It says in there that we wait eagerly, and then it says we wait patiently. Well, how do I do that? How do I wait eagerly, and how do I wait patiently at the same time? I believe those two words together, you might just write down, write down this word in, in the room I gave you, is this word, anticipation. That we are waiting with anticipation, eagerly and patiently. You know it's going to happen. You know it's all going to be fulfilled because every promise God has ever made has been fulfilled and this one will be fulfilled. And so we're groaning with anticipation, waiting for what God will do because he does what he says. And we live in this all live in this with life all the time where we're anticipating things. I, I, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, what are you looking forward to? That's just a small talk question I have. I've maybe asked you that question before. What are you looking forward to? Because I've found that almost everyone has an answer for that question at any time in life. Of like, oh, well, I'm looking forward to the holiday weekend. I'm looking forward to this uh, this trip or this vacation, or I'm looking forward to the semester being over, looking forward to graduating and having school over, I'm looking forward to uh, this family reunion or this thing that's going to happen, and it's varying degrees of distance, something might be several years off, something might be more immediate, but we're kind of built in with this thing of anticipation in our life to have things to look forward to and to live for those things and plan for those things and expect those things, even as a kid, Last week, I, w I wish I'd taken a picture of this, but one of my sons will not eat enough food at, at, at their dinner. And then the problem is, is that this kid is also really, really grumpy when, he doesn't, when he's hungry. So I'm like, bro, you got to eat this food. And we were going to have a treat afterwards. So I said, you cannot have this treat until you are full, until you finish all this meal. So I wish I had a picture, but I held the dessert up in front of his face so he could look at the dessert while he's eating the rest of his dinner right here. And I'm like, if that is not a picture of life, I don't know what is of like, I have this thing set before me and I will endure this as I anticipate what's next. And if we can anticipate a vacation, if we can live with anticipation for a dessert, we can certainly anticipate all of what God is going to do in eternity and live through what we have to live through. But we have to wait. And because it's not here yet, we groan. And there's something telling us that this is not right. Life is not what it should be. That they should not have to be going through that. I should not have to be going through this. And we have these feelings that things are not right. God set that in our heart. He put eternity in our heart. And we groan as we long for what God will do when He makes it right. There is future. There is hope. Three kinds of groaning in this passage. All creation groans, we groan. And we are not left alone to do this. The Spirit groans. 
We don't know what to pray for. The Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That we're left alone on our own. The Spirit moves in, intercedes for us. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit makes a way for us. You will suffer. You will groan. The third reality of life, though, is that you will grow. You will grow. Romans 8, 28, and maybe this is uh, the most known, popular verse in this whole chapter, and it's because when you put it in this whole context of what it's talking about, it's an incredible promise. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, when you think about your suffering, let me just ask you, what's good about your suffering? Nothing. That's what. It's not that your problems are good. It's not that your suffering is good. It's that God is good. And God, in his goodness, can do something through your suffering. Never make the mistake of thinking that something is good about your suffering. It's the goodness of God. It's not what's good about my problems. It's not what's good about my suffering. It's what's good through my suffering. God works a miracle where he takes the bad of suffering and transforms it to the good in our lives and works all things together for the good of those who love him. This verse reminds us that God works for the good in our life when we make two decisions. To love the Lord and to seek him first. So that promise of Romans 8, 28 is not a promise for everyone. It's for those who, who love God, who are living, living life called according to his purpose. And for that person, God can work all things together for that child of God. How can we live knowing this truth? How can we live so that our sufferings don't overwhelm us? How can we live so our sufferings don't overwhelm our marriages, overwhelm our relationships, overwhelm our life? How can we live so our sufferings don't overwhelm us? The key is knowing the good that the problems work. What good can problems work? What good can suffering work? It works and then it makes you like Christ. Don't miss this today. We've come this far. God is working to make you more like Jesus through your circumstances. That is the answer to the mystery of suffering. Why do we need to suffer with Christ to receive his riches? Because the riches are himself. The greatest of riches is that Jesus is revealed in me. Me becoming more like him. That's what will last forever. That's what matters. Am I saying that what you are facing right now is making you more like Christ in a way that has an eternal difference? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's what God wants to do in your life. Now, a lot of people don't lean into God in their suffering. 
and their sufferings are wasted. They go through pain, they go through problems, they go through issues, they go through suffering, and never reap anything from it, never get anything out of it because they did not seek God, because they did not see Christ, because they couldn't say, Romans 8.28, that we know, they didn't know that God has created them to conform them into the image of Christ. So when I see suffering in my life, when I see suffering in others, there's always this dual focus. There's always this dual focus of, one, I want the problem to be solved, but also I realize that God is working and God is doing something through that suffering. So when we hear of persecution, a big part of us wants to say, stop it. What can we do to stop it? What can we do to end it? And that's good. But there's another part that says, God, what glory are you working in and through their lives? When someone is facing illness, let's do everything we can to help them, to end the illness, to pray for them, but also have a longer view than just now of God. What are you working into that person? God, what are you working into our family right now you might wonder is this true that God can redeem the suffering he never causes suffering in your life but can he redeem the suffering is it true that he can do that the truth is you affirm the fact that God can work glory through suffering every time you look at the cross every time you take the Lord's Supper and celebrate communion. The suffering of the cross resulted in the glory of God's forgiveness, the glory of the Son, the glory of God's justice. You will have suffering. You will groan, but you will grow. And you will have a great future. These are three realities about our life, but it also means something great for our future. Just in closing today, I I took... These, these words from the text that we studied today. Each of these words you could pull out of this passage that reveal three realities about our future. Is number one, if you're taking notes, groans will turn to glory. That all of the agony, all of the anticipation, all of the suffering that we go through will turn to glory in Jesus' name. Number two, the frustration that we experience that makes us feel trapped It makes us feel like the world's closing in on us and this problem's closing in on us and we can't move. Frustration will turn to freedom. And number three, the decay that's happening. God will redeem our decaying bodies, this decaying world, and will turn it to deliverance. I want to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis and We'll pray together. But he writes, if you read through, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Let's pray together. God sees what you're going through. And maybe it's been a while since you have sat before God in prayer. Maybe it's been a few days since you've done that, or maybe it's been uh, a week since you've sat 
still before God in prayer. Maybe it's been a long time since you've just sat with God, uh, that you've read his word as we did today, and you've sat still before him and asked him to know you, to search you, uh, to reveal sin in your life, to correct you, to guide you. Maybe it's been a long while since you sat before him just still, quiet, trusting in him, in his wisdom, in his understanding, resting in his salvation. Just turn to him in your heart and mind right now. Say to him, Lord, you know the problem I'm facing. Uh, you know where I'm stuck. You know the situation that's been made. You know the suffering that I'm going through. Here it is. You see it. You understand it more than I do. You understand it more than I do because you've experienced suffering and because you are God and I am not. So Lord, I turn to you today. Lord, as I groan, you feel it deeply, you hear it. And God, I invite you to correct me where I need to be corrected. Lord, lead me where I need to be led. God, thank you that one day you're going to do away with suffering. God, I want to receive the message that I can make it through, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. And maybe you'd say like Paul today, God, I, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the future glory you have awaiting your children. God, as much as I know how today, I put my trust in you. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth. 